Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. No story in last week's Examiner, written by reporter Anne Murphy, began with the following line. In a quiet graveyard in East Limerick, a gravestone marks the final resting place of an Irish priest who was found naked, bound and beaten to death in a motel room in Texas over 40 years ago. The case in question involves Father Patrick Ryan, a native of Doon in County Limerick, and it's in the news right now because it has been reopened despite one man, a Native American, having spent 20 years in prison and another two decades confined to the state of Texas on parole for the murder. Now it appears that this man may well have been innocent and something much more sinister at work. Here to discuss the case, we have the reporter in question, Anne Murphy. Anne, you're very welcome to the podcast again. Thank you, Mick. Anne, tell us first about Father Patrick Ryan. As I say, he came from Dune, but what else do we know about him? So Father Patrick Ryan came from Dune, um, from the village of Dune. His father was a harness maker there, I think. He seems to have been quite a gregarious priest. He enjoyed music and fun, basically. He studied to become a priest and became a member of the Palatine Order. He started off life, obviously, um, in Ireland and trained there. And then he travelled to Africa, was there for a number of years and came back to Ireland where he was based in Stillorgan in the latter end of his time in Ireland before heading off to the States in the late 70s. And it's there he ended up in Texas from Ireland after having spent some time as well in Tipperary for a number of years. So, because we often hear, and the reason I say it, Anne, is we often hear uh, the nature of the priesthood is somebody at a very young age will head out abroad, whether it's be to America, is very often the case, including actually another um, priest who unfortunately was in the news recently, and that's Bishop David O'Connell, who was murdered in tragic circumstances in Los Angeles. But... The point I'm making is they head out at a very young age and, you know, they're effectively removed from this country for a very long time. That was not the case here. I think Father Ryan was only in the States about three years when he met his end, unfortunately. Absolutely, Mick. In this case, he didn't train specifically to go abroad as Bishop David O'Connell did. He trained and was, as you say, working here for a number of years, but seemed to be involved in the in the missions. All right. He did go to Africa, as I mentioned earlier on, to the mission fields there, but did return to Ireland. And he was in Torbis in the Palatine Order there for a number of years. And then he was, as I say, a number of years rector of the Palatine's Centre of Studies in Stillorgan in Dublin. And then for some reason in the late 1970s, he travelled to Texas and took up a post there in Denver City and was very well known, I think, in Denver City at the time. And when he died, his his place of death was some way away from Denver City and from his ministry there. He was found in Odessa, about an hour's drive, I think, away from Denver City. OK, and as you say, 
He he was found in a motel room in a condition whereby he was bound. And initially, I think there was some difficulty in identifying him. Yes. When he checked into the motel, Father Ryan didn't actually give his name as Father Patrick Ryan. He used a different name. And so when he was found, it was impossible to identify him for a number of days because there wasn't a person missing with that name. Meanwhile, back in his parish in Denver City, it was Christmas and he didn't turn up for Christmas ceremonies on either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And that caused his parishioners to get concerned and worried for him. As I say, he was popular there and they went to check in um, on him and then they noticed that his car was missing. They raised the alarm of police and the police in Odessa heard about this case in Denver City. He was a missing priest and they managed to get a positive ID on the dead body that they had in Odessa. It turned out to be Father Patrick Ryan. And the car that was in question was also missing. It wasn't in Odessa. It was found sometime later in New Mexico. And his wallet was also recovered sometime later after his body was found. And that was also away from him. Is there any reason or did they come to any conclusion as to why Father Ryan didn't give his correct name and, and, and when he was booking in, in in Odessa, Anne? Well, it's 40 years later now, Mick, so it's, it's a bit hard to, I suppose, get uh, concrete information on the case now. But it is something that he did do. Like the, James Reyes, the man you mentioned earlier on, who has been accused and found guilty of his murder, he met Father Ryan literally three weeks before he died. And on that occasion, when he met Father Ryan, Father Ryan stopped to give him a lift. He was a hitchhiker um, close to where they were both living in Denver City. Neither men knew each other um, until that day on the 6th of December 1981. But James Reyes has told me that on the day that he met him, the priest told him that his name was John. He was even unaware that he was a priest. But later on, when he was being dropped back to Denver City, to his place of residence, he noted that Father Ryan's place of residence was a presbytery. And he knew then that the man that he was that he was in the car with was called John. But he, he knew then he was a priest. But as far as he was concerned for the following three weeks, over which time he met him a number of times, he believed that his name was Father John. Um, he never questioned it. And he um, says Father Ryan never gave him a surname. And he never referenced himself as Patrick Ryan or Paddy Ryan. OK, is there some suggestion that there may have been some form of a sexual relationship between them? There wasn't a sexual relationship between them, although there is an incident that uh, James Reyes recalls happening a day or so before Father Patrick Ryan's death. He says that he went to the apartment where Father Ryan was living and that there was um, a sexual intent in that Father Ryan asked him to perform oral sex on him and he believed that, you know, that this was an incident um, that he wasn't willing in the interaction and he says that on the following day he went back to Father Ryan's apartment because he needed somebody to go and drive him to pick up his own car which had been impounded. He says he went to Father Ryan despite what happened the day before because he was the only person he knew in Denver City if you bear in mind that James Reyes was actually a stranger in Denver City himself, he was actually um, from an Apache Native American reservation in New Mexico and so wasn't a long-term resident of Denver City and knew nobody else apart from Father Ryan. So he says that when he went back to the Presbytery or to the apartment where Father Ryan was living, that Father Ryan apologised to him for what had happened the day before. 
And James Rios says now today that he has forgiven him and that he forgave him on that day that he was not a person to hold grudges. Yeah, it's, it's very important to say also, irrespective of whether or not there's truth in that version of events, both were consenting adults and that's completely a separate matter. Well, sorry, may not be separate to the murder, but we'll see. Now, what else do we know about James Reyes? So, as we said, James Reyes was a Native American and he had a number of issues around alcoholism and he had a somewhat of a chaotic lifestyle, I think, by the time that he would have um, touched in with Father Ryan on that day that Father Ryan picked him up on the uh, when he was hitchhiking. He had family back home in New Mexico, um, including his father. Um, his mother had been dead for some years at this point. He lived off of royalties that he received from the Native American reservation that he was from. And he um, he had gone to college and he had been hoping to, you know, to, to go on and to better his existence, I suppose, and have a good lifestyle for himself going forward in the years to come. But unfortunately, alcoholism kind of took over and when he had met Father Ryan, he, he was in, you know, in knee-deep in addiction at that point. And that will prove to be a major um, stumbling block for him in in the time after uh, Father Ryan's death and, and basically led to him eventually confessing to a murder which he says he did not commit. So how did he first come to the attention of the police who were investigating Father Ryan's murder? So basically he had gone to, to visit Father Ryan who had become very interested in his background as a Native American and he took with him photographs, a photo album of his family and of his life back home in New Mexico. Sorry, Father Ryan took a photo album of, of James Reyes. Sorry, J- James Reyes brought right. a photo album to Father Ryan. Some, to Father Ryan, yeah, yeah right. Um, and was showing him, um, you know, his, his life back home in New Mexico. And on the evening when the incident occurred, in which he claims that Father Ryan forced him to perform oral sex on him, he fled from the apartment and left behind a bag containing his um, photo album. When police went to the house um, and as part of their investigation into the murder of Father Ryan, James Reyes's bag and, and photo album um, were in the property and that led them to a question whether James Reyes was involved or not. So he said that he was able to prove basically that he was several miles away, indeed hundreds of miles away, from Odessa at the time of the killing of Father Ryan. He even had a speeding ticket to prove that he was in Roswell, New Mexico, 200 miles away from the scene of the crime. And in the early days after the investigation, he was ruled out as a suspect. But he only became a suspect again 11 months later when there was no other suspect. And he was he was intoxicated with drink and drugs. And he says now that he made a call claiming to have killed Father Ryan um, to police. He tried to recant afterwards, but there was no other suspect. And this man had confessed to the killing. Um, And they knew as well that he had been in the apartment. They had his bag. They had the photo album. But all efforts to, to roll back on his confession were overlooked. And he was convicted in court of the murder. And he was sentenced to 38 years in prison. So he effectively went to the police as you say, it was a drunken phone call admitting to it 11 months after. Yes. So he was tormented by the death of Father Ryan, even though he didn't know him for just three weeks. But James Rios was gay, and that was something that he found very difficult to deal with as a Native American. In his culture, it wasn't acceptable at that time. 
And so he felt an enormous amount of guilt around what had happened in the apartment um, with Father Ryan. And in his drunken state and intoxicated state, he made this admission, which he says was false and which has, you know, which um, police now believe to, to also have been false. But at the time, there was no other credible suspect in the case. This man appeared to have, um, you know, reason and he had been in, in the apartment. And so he was he was found guilty because he had made that rash admission. First thing that jumps out to me there, Anne, is that the Father Ryan's body was found in this motel in Odessa. Uh, he was living in Denver City, which was an hour away, as was James Reyes. So it would suggest that the theory was they both travelled to Odessa, and you'd have to wonder why, and whether... Um, whether James Rios supplied any details to that effect or was it a question of just once he made the general admission that was good enough and, and they worked around that, you know? Well, James Rios wasn't in Odessa. He was in Denver City. But he... Yeah. So he, he... When Father Ryan went to Odessa, he had met James Rios earlier that day, but he certainly was on his own um, as far as concerned in relation to Odessa. He did not have James Rios with him. But it is known that he had met two other people in the area who apparently were known to to police and have now been identified through fingerprints as being suspects in the case. They, along with one other person. Yeah, that's the point, like, that there, there would be nothing to put James Reyes in Odessa because he was living in Denver City. Um, so anyway, he got convicted. He spent close to 20 years in prison initially. He did, and he spent another 20 years on parole, and he's still in a transitional housing complex in um, Austin in Texas, where he is now currently trying to get his conviction overturned in the courts after police agreed earlier in uh, late last month that the case against him was tenuous. Um, they had ran the fingerprints found at the scene of the, uh, of the killing in, in Odessa through their uh, new system, which wasn't available back in, obviously, in 1981. And the fingerprints showed up a, mar- um, a match with three people. Unfortunately, all three are since dead. Um, but they are now believe that those three men were involved in the murder of Father Ryan. To know what's really happening. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. 
Bling subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Just going back to James Rios initially as well in the original trial, as I said, it, it sounds like the the uh, evidence was relatively flimsy, but they concentrated to some extent in the prosecution on the fact that he was a Native American and that he was gay. Yes, um, and that seems to have been the case. His attorney, uh, Alison Clayton of the Innocence Project in Texas, um, says that, that was, um, it weighed heavily on the case, the fact that he was Native American more so, I suppose, as well, um, that he didn't really have much backing, I suppose, from the, from the perspective that he was, you know, I'm a minority in, in this crime and it was, a, you know, a Catholic priest um, and there was no other suspect. And unfortunately, his background came against him in the case it appears to have been. And the discovery of the fingerprints taken from the scene, was that done by the police and then James Reyes people who were informed of it? Or were they pursuing it from his side? Like, how exactly did that come about? They have been pursuing it for years, James Reyes and his legal team. Now, he, he's backed by the Innocence Project of Texas now, but he had a different legal team earlier on. But it became apparent earlier on in the years after his conviction that other people were backing him, that they, even prosecution um, felt that maybe there may have been something else that could have been looked at, that this case wasn't as straightforward. And so all the years um, he fought very, very hard through different routes to get heard. But nothing happened until the police ran these fingerprints through the system and the fingerprints were taken and kept basically um, and I suppose there was such a heavy concentration on this case and, and the involvement of the Innocence Project as well obviously would have um, brought it into the spotlight as well. The identification was successful but unfortunately now James Reyes is still in you know he's still a convicted man because um, you know just because the police have issued um, you know a statement saying that they believe that there are other suspects instead of him it, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a free man. He has to go through a long protracted um, legal case now to, to get it overturned. And the three suspects that have been identified, as you say, they're all deceased, but is there some suggestion they may have been involved in other murders as well? There are a number of outstanding um, murders of priests in the southwest of America in the in the early years of the 1980s. Um, there was at least five um, that the Innocence Project are aware of in different parts of um, the southwest of America. A number of them were in uh, Texas, Arizona and Montana. Um, now, it's an interesting development as well. Um, around the same time was that a man went into a church in Boise in Idaho, several miles away from Texas. But uh, he went in there and took cyanide and died in the church, never was able to be identified. He had a note on him um, signed William L. Toomey. And that name was actually a name of a clothing manufacturer which produced garb for religious, including clerics, including uh, priests and nuns. If there has been some suggestion that this man in Boise may have been connected to the murders of the priests. Um, not specifically to Father Ryan's, but it, it, they don't. The investigators don't know. They do believe that there must be some connection to the church because who else would know the name of a manufacturer of clerical garb unless you were a member of a religious um, organization yourself? Um, there 
there was a concentration on him as well um, because he wore a distinctive buckle on his belt, which was traced to a shop in Arizona, again, in the southwest of uh, southwest of the States. Um, and so there's always um, a possibility that, that he may have either been a priest himself or knew something very, you know, very... Um, that that you know he he knew the church very well, but now at the moment, um, Alison Clayton, um, of the Innocence Project, is looking into travelling to Boise herself, um, to see if there could be any possible connection between that dead body, which still hasn't been identified, um, forty years later in that case, um, to find out who is this man. Is there any possibility that he may have been responsible in relation to the murder of Patrick Ryan, or can he be discounted from it all? God, yeah, it sounds, it's all a bit, it's a bit sinister, isn't it? And the other thing then is, God, the unfortunate Father Ryan and his end, but also uh, James Reyes, if as it now looks, that his particular vulnerable characteristics were what contributed to him being targeted effectively and, and, and blamed for the murder. And the other thing that strikes me there, Anne, is, uh, and I came across this in a different case recently, parole in the US, when we say that, uh, it's very different from here, I think, in particular. It's very strict and you have to stay within a particular state and abide by very strict conditions. And he has been confined to that since, even though he'd prefer to get back to, to his origins. Yes, unfortunately, James has been unable to go back to New Mexico. Um, it's the next state to uh, Texas, but Texan authorities won't leave him return there. Um, he... It's all he wants, basically, he has told me, is to see the snow on the mountains of New Mexico again. Um, and it's very simple. All he wants is to to meet his brothers. He's got brothers back home on the reservation. He's also got nieces and nephews who were born after his conviction, so he has never met them. He says that his family are poor back home in New Mexico and wouldn't have been able to make the journey to see him. He is also very upset that his father died in 1984, the year after he was convicted. And he never was able to attend his father's funeral, has never been to where his father's grave is. Um, and he like he hangs on to the last words that his father gave him in the last meeting that they that they had before he was taken away to start serving his 38 years in prison. And they were to tell him to be strong, basically, and to never give up. And he says that he clings to that every single day and that that's what inspires him. But another thing that inspires him is to, is to be able to go back to New Mexico one day. Um, but right now, as you say, he can't do that. And he doesn't have access to a, a mobile phone. He doesn't have access to the Internet. Um, his life is very, very simple. When I spoke with him, um, he came across as a very gentle person. He's recovering from a stroke that he suffered last September. And he says that his memory is slightly affected by that. But it's more uh, more of an effect on his mobility, which he finds very difficult um, he, he has been using a walking frame, but he says that he is attending physio and um, hopes get stronger and stronger every day. And he's aiming to be in a fit position for when he needs to go back to court again as part of his petition to get his uh, to get his conviction overturned. God, yes, very, it's very sad, definitely. And then back, Father Ryan, he was buried back in Dune, as we said, and I see that uh, the, the, the inscription on his gravestone, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That certainly uh, would seem to have applied here, no question about that. You could say it applied not just to the murderers, but quite possibly perhaps to the US justice system as well. 
Have Father Ryan's uh, family here in Ireland made any public comment on the case, Anne? No, they have not. Um, I have been trying to, um, you know, trying to find out if if there are relatives um, still here. But he did have relatives in the US. There are no relatives locally that would be close, um, apparently. Um, but we do know from the representatives uh, of the Innocence Project that Father Ryan's brother, based in the US, did come forward at one point um, and did indeed seem to believe that James Reyes did not have a role to play in his brother's killing. But unfortunately, that man now cannot be traced and it's believed that he is possibly dead. And it is it is a fascinating story, tragic story, quite obviously. But uh, I suppose we just have to see how it develops, particularly in terms of the uh, whether they'll establish conclusively that James Reyes uh, was the victim of a miscarriage of justice. And hopefully there'll be some resolution on that basis for him. And while we have you, and I mean, it's just a pure coincidence because that was a very unfortunate death of a, a cleric in the US 40 years ago. This week, uh, a bishop, a man from, I think it's Glenmire in, in Cork, uh, Bishop David O'Connell, he was murdered in Los Angeles. Can you tell us a small bit about that? Because you, you, you covered that story too. Yes, I did. Um, it, it seems to be, um, you know, at, at the moment, my focus is, is heavily on America and on dead Irish clerics, unfortunately. Um, bishop David O'Connell was a, um, seems to have been a legend um, in Los Angeles. He has been there for the last 45 years. Um, and the, you know, the, the esteem in which he was held is remarkable, really, for um, a senior churchman. It's not something you see, um, you know, anymore. Uh, somebody, um, you know, high up in the, the hierarchy to be so respected by people on all levels, um, right up from, you know, from the, the, the chief sheriff, the uh, a district attorney, the Archbishop of the LA Archdiocese, uh, right down to um, a young family and and um, that I've spoken to who have been greatly indebted to him for what, for what he did for their family. And I've been hearing about him paying for accommodation for students to go to school. Um, you know, he's, he, he seems to have been someone who really liked to be down with his flock. Indeed, I was told that he never wanted to be a bishop, that he always wanted to be a priest and he, that he found it very hard when he got the call to be a bishop, um, but he re- retained his downward um, uh, characteristics right through the years since 2015 when he was elevated to a bishop. Um, and unfortunately for him, um, he was found dead in his bed in his home in Los Angeles last Saturday by a church deacon who went there because um, Bishop Davis, he was affectionately known, had not turned up in time for a meeting. And this was very unlike him. So when the church deacon went, he found him um, dead in bed and a major investigation was then launched. It emerged that he has been he had been shot multiple times. One man has now been charged in connection with the murder. His name is Carlos Medina, a 61 year old man who did some maintenance work at some time for uh, Bishop Dave. Um, but he is also the husband of Bishop Dave's housekeeper. Um, according to the district attorney, there was no sign of a forced break-in at the house. So that's under investigation at the moment. And how did he get into the house? And also under investigation is a motive for the killing. While the man accused of it has admitted the killing, um, the 
the reasons that he has been giving do not stack up according to the police there. And they're saying that there are a number of different reasons being given, but they still don't know what the motive for the killing was. And have they said what those reasons are? He alleged that money was owed to him by Bishop uh, O'Connell. Um, but in, uh, in the most recent press conference that was given, um, the police from the uh, county sheriff's office says that it's no longer looking apparent that that was the case. Yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't a clue, but from what I've and I've seen a lot about Bishop O'Connell um, the last week, he, he wouldn't strike you as a man who'd be... Um, who'd be owing money to anybody. And I saw that there there was a number of people in Glenmire who, who remembered him. And as well, there's a very interesting interview with a columnist in the LA Times who had uh, tracked him around and she was highly impressed with his whole dedication to people who were underprivileged and his capacity for work. He worked till dawn, till dusk, this woman was saying. So a very a very sad story all around then. Absolutely. And I mean, I've spoken with a number of people who met him up to last Thursday and Friday. Um, you know, and, and um, as you said there, Mick, it seems that he literally did work from dawn to dusk. He packed meetings in with everybody, no matter if it was the head of the police department, the, you know, the the mayor of Los Angeles or an immigrant family who he needed to help. It was all levels of society were very close to this man. And indeed, during one of the press conferences this week, Archbishop Gomez, his boss essentially, was in tears and had to be comforted by the county sheriff. It was a very moving moment to see that. Okay, and thank you very much for that. I mean, two very tragic stories, but, uh, you know, also very interesting. And um, hopefully there'll be some resolution in both of them. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Mick. As always, I'd like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we'll be back with you again next week. Take it handy in the meantime.